0: Good morning. Good to see everyone. I am uh, Pastor Brandon Briscoe. I am the college and young adult pastor here at Midtown Baptist Temple. And it's a privilege uh, to to have the opportunity to preach in uh, Sam's stead. Pastor Sam Miles is on vacation with his family this week. And uh, I I always have this feeling when Sam is gone, regardless of who's preaching, uh, that That um, like the dad is gone and he's left the kids at home. Uh, And there's this like overwhelming sense that if something breaks, you might get blamed. So um, pray for me this morning. We are going to be in Acts chapter 10 and we're going to be uh, talking about Peter and we're going to be talking about decision making. The message this morning is called Four Proofs of God's Leading. And um, before we get into it, we need to briefly just give some background before we pray this morning and ask God to help. Let's start by just getting some background on this passage. Um, We're first introduced in this chapter uh, to a man named Cornelius. At the very beginning uh, of of the chapter, we find this man named Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion. And he's referred to here uh, as a God-fearer, right? Which is a term that they used quite often in the first century, uh, to refer to, to uh, Greeks, um, Hellenistic people who had sympathies towards Jewish, the Jewish beliefs. So in other words, um, uh, Cornelius was uh, a Greek. Uh, he was uh, culturally a Greek. Um, he, he was a Roman centurion, so he was a, he was a part of the culture. Uh, in almost every way, he was uh, Hellenistic Uh, He was wealthy, he was well-to-do, people would have recognized him as a person of authority, and yet uh, he desired to worship the God of the Bible, which made him kind of an enigma. And if you know anything about this this time in history, uh, the Jewish people had scattered abroad. They were all over different parts of the Roman Empire, and there were synagogues and communities and in metropolitan cities. And so there was a Jewish influence, right? But a lot of times it would get ignored, right? They would, you know, the other Greeks would ignore it. They would continue to worship their gods. But see, the unique thing about Cornelius was that when the Jews went to worship, he went with them. So there was something really distinct and interesting about him. In Acts chapter 10, verse 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. A devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God alway. Now, you know, one of the amazing things about our God is that in our weakness, when we turn to him and we're in need of truth, we're in need of his revelation, he's faithful to provide it. And so here we have a man that, that really, uh, in so many ways, is separated from God. Uh, you know, he's, he, you know the Jews would not have fully accepted him into their worship practices. He would have been kept at an at a, at a arm's distance. And yet he's still there, and he's asking the Lord, Lord, reveal yourself to me. I want to worship you. And he's praying to the Lord, and the Lord is faithful to show himself. So in verse 3 we see, He saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, him he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send me to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose, name, uh, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. And he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants, and devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he, de- he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. And so, so man, he's praying to the Lord. He's, he's asking the Lord, show yourself to me. And God is faithful to, 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 to send an angel and say, hey, look, there's a guy named Peter. You need to go find him. He's going to tell you about what it means to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so he immediately uh, sends three of his, his best men to go find Peter in Joppa where he's hanging out and he's staying. Now, our story this morning is not about Cornelius. Our our story is going to be focused on Peter because, see, at the exact same time that Cornelius is having this experience and he's getting this vision and he's, he's getting word that there is a gospel message for him, at the exact same time Peter is hanging out on a rooftop somewhere having his own encounter with the Lord. And that's where we're going to focus our attention because because Peter in this moment, when he, when he meets with the Lord and the, and the Word of the Lord comes to him, it's a real struggle for him what he hears. The message that come to, comes to him is unlike any message he's ever received. It's going to challenge his identity. It's going it's to challenge the way that he sees and understands the Lord. It's going to challenge him culturally. It's gonna challenge him in his lifestyle and the way that he acts and behaves. It's gonna confront him in a way that he's never experienced before. Now, I relate to that. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I relate to this idea that sometimes God confronts me with a message that I don't know what to do with, sometimes it comes in the form of a calling. Sometimes it comes in the the, the form of a prompting, maybe in my heart, in my mind. Maybe it comes in the form of a conversation. Maybe I'm reading God's Word and and I begin to to see something that I'd never seen before and I feel challenged. My life feels challenged. The way that I live feels challenged. The way that that I behave feels challenged. What I do with my life and the purposes of my life feel challenged. And sometimes I ask myself, is this just a feeling? Or is this actually of God? Have you ever felt that way where it's like, man, I feel like God is doing something, but I can't quite put my finger on it, and I need to know, I need, to, I need God to prove to me that what He's saying is true. I need proof. I need evidence. And that's exactly where Peter is at in our message today. He needs evidence from the Lord that the Lord is truly in this message that's delivered to him. You know, you know as a church... As a church on a mission, there are going to be many people in this room that God asks really hard things of. Now, I I get that every single day there's going to be things that we think about like, you know, is the Lord telling me that I should switch jobs? Should I leave this and take on this other responsibility? Or is the Lord telling me to do this or that with my family? Or You know, there's decisions that you make every day that you want God to be involved in, right? There's hard decisions that you make as a person. But as a church, you know, we're making hard decisions too in terms of ministry. We've got hard decisions to make. God is pushing us to plant churches all over this world. And as we do that, some of us are going to ask really tough questions. Lord, are you telling me to go to Vietnam? Is that what you're doing? Is, it, it, are you telling me that, that I should? should be a part of a church plant? Lord, are you telling me that I need to prepare myself for some new work, something I've never done before that goes way beyond my understanding, that goes way beyond my ability, something that I can't even see for my own life? Are you asking that of me? Because if you are, I'm going to need you to prove that. I'm going to need you to clarify that because that's a hard thing that you're asking me. What if God was faithful enough to reveal his leading with proof and evidence that substantiates his plan for your life. Today, this is what we're going to talk about. How do we know when what we're hearing and what we're seeing and what we're experiencing is of God? In Acts chapter 10, we're going to learn four ways that God proves that he is leading us. Okay, I'm going to pray one more time. Are you guys with me this morning? Okay, let's pray and then we'll get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We need you. Uh, You are, um, you're way bigger than us. And uh, and and I, you know, as I was praying earlier this morning, Lord, you you created everything. You see everything. Um, you, you're omniscient. You're omnipotent. You have all power. You spoke the universe into existence. And your very breath is power and majesty and creation and creativity and expression that, that I can't even begin to understand. And that same very voice that spoke everything into creation has 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 a plan for my life. And you're speaking to me. I'm not just, I don't have to just guess at this thing called life. I don't have to wander around and be confused or unsure and just use my best thought and my best hope to get me through. I don't have to do that, Lord. You want to commune with me. And you want to speak to me. And you want to do that with clarity. And so, Lord, I pray that we would learn how to hear you the right way. And that we wouldn't just trust in our feelings or our best thoughts that our Christianity wouldn't be a wilderness faith, that it would be true and purposed and on a path. And so, Lord, help us this morning, uh, to each, every one of us individually, to see ourselves in this story. Lord, that you would speak to us and show us what it means to take the next steps in our faith and to trust you for your leading. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's start here. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 1. That seems appropriate, right? And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying unto them, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which ye shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Whatsoever parteth the hoof, and is cloven-footed, and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that shall ye eat. Nevertheless, these things uh, shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the hoof and the camel, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof. He is unclean unto you. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with this passage or not, But it continues on for a really long while, okay, just like this, of saying all of the things that a Jew should or should not eat, okay? It's very, very specific. God was very specific about what he wanted his people eating and not eating. Now, these convictions were built into Peter, into his heart, into his mind. For a couple thousand years, his ancestors had been very careful about what they ate, their diet was not just a law, it was a lifestyle. It's what separated them from the heathen that, that lived around them, the other nations, the other people that worshiped false gods. This way of eating made them distinct, and they knew it, and it was ingrained into who they were and their character. Little does Peter know on this particular, uh, particularly unassuming morning, as he goes up to the rooftop to pray, that he will be asked to change. That he's going to be asked to change, to change something. Not only his lifestyle and his convictions, but also how he understood God's mission for his life. Let's look at that. Acts chapter 10, verse 9, on the morrow as they went on their journey, that's the, the men that were sent out to find Peter, and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open, and a, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet uh, knit at the, uh, at the four corners, and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, rise, kill and eat. That's weird. <laughs> like, let's, We can all right now acknowledge... This story just got very weird, okay? So what are we seeing here? All right, Peter is praying on the rooftop. And this sheet, in his vision, this vision, the sheet comes down from heaven. And the four corners, just imagine your bed sheet. That's what I always do. Um, there's, I t- take the four corners. I really hate making my bed, by the way. Is anybody else really terrible at making their bed? I cannot get the corner thing to tuck around the mattress for the life of me. I, I, this is like... It almost brings me to tears, and Eva just stands, and she watches me, agonizing. What what is that thing even called? Where it's scrunchy in the corner, and to get it around, I can't do it. It takes a team. It takes a village. Okay, but, but so imagine the sheet from your bed, okay? And the four corners are brought together, almost like a knapsack, Okay? and it's descending down from heaven and in it are all of those foods all of those animals that Peter wasn't supposed to eat okay so that's what he's seeing but then a voice comes and the voice says rise peter kill and eat god is inviting him to eat all the animals that his whole life he was he was determined to see as filthy and in that moment, he doesn't know what to do. You know, he may not have understood it, and he may not have struggled, he may have struggled on, on how to obey what God was asking him to do, like in, in his mind, and his heart, he may be struggling, but there's one thing, there's one thing that we're absolutely sure of, is that the voice of the Lord came to him. Okay, we can't deny that, that this was God's voice, that was the word of God that had come to him. Now, he, he might be struggling with it, it might be hard, but there's one thing that we can't, we can't ignore here, is that the voice of the Lord came to him. Now, I, I want you to see the parallel to our lives. That a lot of times that God is asking us to do things that seem really difficult, and we may not even know how to do it. Like we can't get our mind wrapped around it, but nonetheless, when the Lord speaks, we have to recognize we we have to recognize that it's Him that's doing the speaking. And as New Testament believers, the Word of God has come to us just the way the voice of God came to Peter on the rooftop. God's Word has come to us, and it's come to us in the form of a letter, in the form of a book, and His Word has been extended to us. And it, so it may, it may not have come to you in a vision. But it has nonetheless come to you. And you have to grapple with it. You have to acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge that this is God's voice to you. And it must be obeyed. And so the very first thing that we need to understand is if we want God to prove himself to us, if we want to be led by the Lord, the very first thing that we have to understand is that God's word must sit at the center of our life. That the very first word that we should hear, the very first leading that we should receive... Is the, is the words and the leading that comes from this book. And if the theme of today's message is, how do I get clarity when I don't know what to do, think, or believe, the most obvious starting place for us is always the Word of God. So Peter went up on the rooftop to pray, and lo and behold, wor- the words of God came alive in his ears. And I know that there's some of us in this room that still struggle with reading the Bible. When, when, the, when we study the Word or we open the book or we're part of a Bible study, it's still difficult for us to understand what's being taught or what we're reading in the book. Now, I want to tell you a quick story. I, got, I had the privilege of, of getting lunch with a, a young man from our ministry last week. And he was sharing with me the testimony of his salvation. Now, this guy, he grew up in church his whole life. And he was a part of many different churches. And he was telling me the story just about how he always felt like like... He wanted to be a Christian, but he was always like on the outside, right? He was always felt like he was on the outside looking in. When there was worship service, he felt on the, like he was on the outside looking in. And when he came to his friends or he came to the, the, to the leaders in his church and he said, I feel like, I, I just don't feel apart, and I'm not getting anything. It's just not, it's not happening in my heart. Now, he didn't know that he wasn't saved. He didn't know that he didn't know Christ at the time. But what he always heard time and time again was, we'll just ask God to reveal himself to you ask God to reveal himself to you and he would do that he would go and he'd pray and he'd pray and he'd pray and he'd pray and and he never came to a place where God revealed himself but then he came to be a part of a Bible study here someone invited him to be a part of a Bible study here and he was frustrated the same way that he always was he was sitting in Bible study and he just had this frustration like he was on the outside looking in and it just didn't feel right and he knew that something wasn't right in his heart And a young man came up to him and he said, man, it's okay. Ask the Lord to reveal himself to you in his word. And so he did that. He asked the Lord, will you reveal yourself to me in your word? And just a few months later, he got saved. And now he's on a trajectory of being discipled and following Christ and his whole life is different. But see, this is what I'm talking about, is if we're faithful to go to the Lord in simplicity and ask Him, Lord, would you reveal yourself to me in your word? He will do that. Just like Peter was up on the rooftop and he was praying, and he's asking the Lord, Lord, be with me, use me, help me, help me to know you better. And the word of the Lord came to him? The same thing is true for us. God wants us to understand His words. And so here's here's the point. Peter knew... That there was power in God's words. And he knew that God always directed people first and foremost from His Word. In fact, years later, he records a very powerful concept for us in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Some people's Christianity, they call it Christianity, but let's be honest, it's just cunningly devised fables. It's just tradition. It's just religion. It's just... You know, it's it's something completely different than what God intended it to be. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from, from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so here we find Peter reminiscing about this experience he had with some of the other disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. And and so this is a story where Peter saw Jesus' body transfigured into his divine, heavenly body. And he sees him communing with Elijah and Moses and the voice of the Lord is present. And it's just this wild experience. And he was just amazed by that. I mean, it was a powerful, powerful moment in the life of Peter. But listen to what he goes on to say here. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. So that more sure word is this book. So what he's saying is that we have something more sure than the experiences that I've had with the voice of God. See, this is the privilege that New Testament believers have that even Peter himself didn't have as an apostle. Is a completed book. What would you... I mean, how could you want anything more in terms of God's leading for then, for then for him to write you a letter that tells you everything that your life is supposed to be. I mean, there's so many of us that are so desperate to know what we're supposed to do with our lives. And yet at the very same time, we refuse to be discipled in, in the word of God. We refuse to commit to a Bible study. We refuse to, to, to sign up for discipleship. We, ref- we refuse to sign up for LFBI. We want to know God's word, but we're not willing to have it taught to us. We're not willing to wake up in the morning. There's so many of us in this room that are guilty over and over again of failing in the morning to meet with the Lord in the word. And you know that you're supposed to. And we wake up and we get busy with our day. You get up early, you get your morning cup of coffee, and you're doing everything but spending time with the Lord when you know that your life cannot have purpose unless you put the character of God inside of you. Look, Peter is saying that the written word is powerful and it's freeing. It's more sure. Not even the voice from heaven is as clear and directive and comforting as God's written words, which leads us to our first key point. You want the leading of the Lord in your life? Here's proof number one. He gave you a book. The word of God reveals the will of God. And when I say the will of God, what I mean is his purposes for our life. In no uncertain terms, Does God make clear to us the the things that He wants us to do? I mean, it's a book full of, hey man, I want you to do this. Hey sister, this is how I want you to live. This is what your character should look like. This is what your behavior looks like. This is what's becoming of Christ. This is what you should do. This is how you should act. And if you want God's leading, the very first thing you need to do is spend time with Him. Before you can get answers on which way to go... You have to know where you're going. And God's word provides us with that. You know, I, think, I, I was trying to think about an illustration for this. and you, I, The thing I kept thinking about is travel, right? Like if you don't know where you're going to, what difference does it make if you take I-70 or I-35? Like if you don't know what city you're trying to get to, then who cares if you're driving a Porsche or a Mazda Miata? I mean, so many of us are so concerned about what we're driving or what road we're going to take, and we have no idea where we're going with our lives. And we want God's leading, and we want His proof, and we want Him to tell us what to do, and yet we don't even know what His primary objectives are. He's got a purpose for your life. And so it's completely unfair to Him to ask Him what job you should take or if you should do this or that with your family, or if it's time to buy a new house, or if it's if, you know it's completely unfair for you to ask Him those questions and expect an answer when you're not willing to pursue His face. This is crucial. If you don't know God's Word and will for all humanity, if you don't know uh, His love and His character and His commands, then what difference does it make what job you have or where you live or, or who you marry? It doesn't make any difference. We need the Bible. To sit at the center of who we are and what we do. To give us spiritual direction for our lives. To give us insight into what kind of person we should be. What kind of ministry that we should be doing. How to spend our, our, our resources. How to, how to work with people. And how to have proper convictions. God's word teaches us those things. And any knowledge, concept, feeling, or experience that does not submit itself first to the biblical will of God is completely incongruent with who we should be as Christians. So what difference does any decision make if we don't know what the Bible says? And, 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 it's, and it's tough because a lot of us are living very vain lives. You know, very empty existence. And, and, and it's because we haven't first started with the Word. What does the Bible say is the first question anyone should ask themselves if they don't know how God is leading them. That's where we should start. Now look, Even though the word of God came to Peter, look, he's just a man, he's just a man, he's still confused. I mean, he's up there on the rooftop, he's, you know, sad, confused, he's probably pale, weak-kneed, sweating, right? And God tells him the same thing three times, three times. Like, I just want to point out, like, God is super clear. Like, there's certain things his word says not just three times, like 150 times, like there's certain things in God's word, He's very faithful to repeat Himself if need be, and yet Peter is still standing up there confused. The words of God sounded clear in his ears, but that doesn't mean that they were easy to receive. For a man of Jewish heritage and culture, the proposition to eat unclean things was likely sickening and confusing. It was hard for him, and this command from God would have left him with a bunch of questions, like, like questions, like, well, "What's the significance of this? Why are you asking this? Like, what's the point?" Well, God, what are you up to? This seems to go against your character. I mean, everything I know about you, I mean, you've told me over and over again not to do that. In fact, listen to his response. In verse 14, he says, says Peter said, Not so, Lord. <laughs> not, not so, Lord. I mean, can you imagine? The voice of God. No, nah, God, no. No. <laughs> For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Not so, Lord, is his plea. He's grieving this command. You can, you can sense that he's grieving. He's mourning. And this reminds me a lot of Jonah's heart. You know, when, when, Jonah, or when God comes to Jonah and says, hey, look, I need you to go to Nineveh. And it seems ke- completely counterintuitive to, to who God is in his mind. His, you know, Jonah's morals didn't seem compatible with what God was asking. You want me to go to those wicked Assyrians that have killed men, women, and children in the Jewish communities for, over, for decades now? You want me to go to these wicked people and tell them about, about you and how to repent? Not doing it. He gets in a boat and takes off, right? That's another story. Not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. This is also the common response in all of our hearts when God asks us something terrifying or scary or difficult. We say, Not so, Lord. And as best as we can, we try, to, we try to push it down. The things that God is asking us from His Word, we try to put them on the back burner. And we try not to think about them. And that conviction, we try to stifle it. You know, we do the same thing. Not so, Lord, when something is new, when something is difficult, confusing. And even though God repeats Himself over and over again, Peter is still left wondering why God would ever ask him such a thing. Verse 17, Peter doubted in himself what this vision, uh, what this vision which he had seen should mean. He doubted. And the issue for Peter is much like the issue we have when we're looking for direction. Because, because we often do the same thing Peter does. We fail to make a connection between God's request and his bigger purposes. We, we fail to make a connection between God's character, his purposes, and his commands over our life. He tells us something, and we ask, we ask questions, we doubt in ourselves, because we fail to see the bigger picture of what God wants to do in our lives. We're stuck. We're stuck in our own little bubble, our own little culture, our own little presuppositions, our only our, our, our little fears that we've built around ourselves for years and years. We're stuck there. We're stuck in the muck and the mire of our lives and, and all of the things that we've built up around us, our house, our, the things that we own, the things that we feel like we steward. We're, we feel stuck in that place. And so when God's voice comes, we can't make a connection between what he's asking us to do and what his bigger purposes are. Do you know that God wants to reach the whole world? he wants to take the message of Jesus Christ to every people group in the whole world? That he's got a much bigger plan than what we can ever even imagine for ourselves and that we struggle to get our mind around it all the time? See, God's objective was to reach the Gentiles. But Peter was too short-sighted to see how the laws and traditions that he was accustomed to were actually a cultural barrier to engaging the lost people. He couldn't see it. And because of that, He was unable to distinguish how God's commands are actually indistinguishable from his character. You know the things that God asks of you? That they're connected to to who he is. I I love it. It's like one of my favorite things that, that Jesus says. It gives me so much insight. He tells his disciples, if you love me, obey my commands. This is so powerful to me because I, all the time I know that like in my heart, and my mind that I love Jesus, but so often I fail to obey the things that he commands me to do. Like there's this connection, like, like I, want, I want his character, I want to know him, I want to be intimate with him, but the things that are hard that he's asking me, I don't want those things, but the truth is those things are inextricable from one another, And if I want him as a being, as a person, as a as a as a lover of my soul, then I can't separate who he is from the things that he's asking me to do. And and we do it all the time. We do it all the time. And this is why God's word is so important. It helps us to understand how to make decisions that look like Christ. So that our actions and behaviors are always in accordance with his character. But listen to me, God is faithful. And we seem to miss his will and his plan. So say he speaks to us and we've got this conviction and we've got... Suddenly we, 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 we're asking ourselves, wait a second, God, what are you asking me? We are so dumb. And we're so easily confused. And he knows that about us. He knows that. I mean, I don't know how much you know about sheep. Okay? But sheep without a shepherd, without a staff and a rod, they get lost very easily. And our shepherd is faithful to show us over and over again in different ways how he's leading us. He'll prove himself. And so while he speaks to us and he proves himself in his word, he's also willing to prove to us what he's saying in our circumstances. That's the next thing. Proof number two is the circumstances of our life. Now while Peter doubted in himself that this vision, this is verse 17, doubted in himself that this vision which he had, seen, uh, he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked uh, whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. So Peter's up on the rooftop. He's fretting. He's sweating. He's freaking out. And the doorbell rings. And there's three guys in the door. Hey, uh, is Peter here? Um... Can you come outside and play? (laughs) Right? Three men from Joppa standing at the door. Three unclean, pork-eating Gentiles (laughs) just happened to show up at the very moment that God's word comes to Peter. Right? What are the chances? See, this was the confirmation, further proof of God's leading. God didn't just say, okay, it's okay to eat pork now, Peter. Good luck with that. He brought Gentiles to his doorstep to prove that he was at work in Peter's circumstances. That he would fulfill his plan that he had extended to Peter. That it wasn't just a word, but there was also action involved. And that he was going to arrange Peter's life in such a way that he had to acknowledge that God's words were true. Not only were God's words beckoning him to preach to the Gentiles, but now his circumstances actually invited the work to happen. Key point number two. God has a way, God has a way of reordering our circumstances to affirm his plan. To affirm his plan. And we have to understand that this is how God works in our lives. Whatever God is revealing to us, he is always faithful to confirm it by orchestrating our lives in such a way that facilitates his objectives for our life. Okay, so here, like, like just a basic example in our personal lives. The job thing is, is always a tough one, isn't it? So let's just use that as an example again. Getting a new job or, or switching workplaces or whatever it might be. That's always very stressful. Okay, especially in our, in, our, in our world today, right? We have no idea. Like next week, the economy could completely drop out. Like we have no idea what's going on in our world. And so switching jobs, that could be a stressful thing. And you ask yourself, well, God, well, am I supposed to s- switch jobs? okay. Um, has God given you a new job? Like, has he created a circumstance where that's even possible? Has he made a way? I mean, that, that's to me, that seems like the, like, don't just quit your job because you feel like God is telling you that you're supposed to get another job. God will provide another job if he wants you to have another job. You see how this works? But the same thing is true with with even bigger, grander decisions. Like, am I supposed to go to Vietnam? Okay, well we know what his word says. We know what the Great Commission says. We We know that every individual believer is supposed to live the Great Commission and share the gospel with every person. That's what his word says. But then is he creating circumstances that expose to you Vietnamese people? That gives you opportunity to minister to them? Is he pointing the way? Is he paving the path? I mean, I don't think Andrew ever knew that he would he would be praying about going to Vietnam. He accidentally went on a mission trip that someone else couldn't go on. Okay? And he goes on this mission trip and when he gets there, he has exceptional favor with the people. And people are getting saved and he's making these connections and relationships were built. He could never have done that in his own power. God orchestrated his steps. And God is faithful to do that for all of us. We can know God is at work when he directs our steps in a way that authenticates what we read in the Bible or what we're convicted about. Jeremiah 10.23 says this, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. In other words, we don't know our own way. We're not very smart. We're like those sheep that wander around. We get lost very easily. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. It's not in our ability. We need someone to direct our steps. Preferably, that would be God. Preferably, that would be the creator of the universe. Not your bossy co-workers or your wife or your children. Some of you get owned by your kids. Like, who who orders your steps? Psalm 37:23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Now listen, if this wasn't enough for Peter, if this wasn't enough, God also proves his plan through a third method, the conviction of the Spirit. So proof number three, we've got two proofs so far, okay? The Word of God proves to us what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to go. Our circumstances, God will orchestrate our circumstances in such a way that point us in the direction that we should go. But the next thing that we have is the conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which will confirm or affirm what God is already saying. Verse 19, so while Peter thought on the vision, let's pause there for a second. I think that's important. I think it's important that when we hear the voice of the Lord that we continue to contemplate it and not push it to the back burner. Because God is willing to turn you over to your own devices in your own way. So if you refuse to think on the things that he's telling you or to meditate on the word that comes to you, he's also faithful to say, okay, we'll have it your way. I'll go find someone who's willing. I'll go find someone who's faithful. It says that Peter thought on the vision. The, the So then it goes, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee, arise therefore, and get thee down, And go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So while he's in deep contemplation, even as God is at work downstairs, he doesn't even know those guys are at the door. He's still up on the roof. While all that's going on, the Spirit comes to him. And he says, arise, get, and go. Now, I want to point this out, is that I do believe that anything that God is leading you in is always going to go back to arise, get, and go. And what I mean by that is that every single decision that you ever make, if it doesn't facilitate ministry, going to the lost, and sharing the gospel, then it's probably not a vision worth investing in. It's probably not a desire worth cultivating. In other words, God is always going to tell you the same thing. Arise, get, go. His objective is to reach the lost. And he's reminding Peter of that right now through the power of his Holy Spirit. See, the voice of the Spirit further supports the plan of God for Peter's life. This is what the Spirit does for us too. So key point number three. The Spirit of God ratifies the will of God to our heart. That's what He does. And ratified just means that the Spirit gives its stamp of approval, supporting exactly what God has already made plain to us. That's how the Spirit works. The Spirit is in the business of endorsing God's word, that's what it does. It doesn't have its own agenda. It doesn't have its own will. It doesn't have its own way. The Spirit is always given to affirming God's Word that already exists in your life. That's what it does. 1 John 5, 6 says this, This is He that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by uh, water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. See, the Spirit is a witness bearer it authenticates things that God already is telling you. So when someone says, I believe, is, I believe God is telling me, or, or, or I feel God, it, like I think a lot of times, and I run into this, you know, I'm in, I'm in young adult ministry. So a lot of times I'll have a young adult, and I, this is true of adults too, but they'll come to me and they'll present something to me and they say, I feel like God is telling me to blah, 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 blah. And whatever that thing is, a lot of times, a lot of times, they can't corroborate that with anything else that God is doing. It's just a feeling. And so the Holy Spirit becomes a scapegoat for their feelings, just how they feel, like what they want to do, and they pin it on God. Don't bring God into this. He don't have nothing to do with it. Just, you just want to do what you want to do because you feel a certain way. And so I want to warn you that the Holy Spirit isn't in the business of providing you with random feelings about what you're supposed to do. The Holy Spirit is in the business of confirming what God is already telling you to do in His Word. That's the kind of business He's in. And if at any point you feel a way that contradicts God's Word and cannot be confirmed in the multiplicity of the other proofs, then it probably ain't right for you. Does that make sense? So look, the Holy Spirit doesn't get to be your spiritual scapegoat for justifying what you want to do or you feel is right. I love this quote by John Wesley. John Wesley, the evangelist, said, Do not hastily ascribe things to God. Do not easily suppose that dreams, voices, impressions, visions, or revelations to be from God. They may be from Him, but they may also be from nature, and they may be from the devil. The Holy Spirit's job is literally... To corroborate already established tr- truth. I love this passage too. John 16, 13 says, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you in all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself. See, He's not even concerned with providing you with something that God hasn't already confirmed. Right? He's not even interested in that. He doesn't speak about Himself. He doesn't do things autonomously of the triune nature of God. But whatsoever He shall hear, That shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So how did the Holy Spirit of God become synonymous with the immature, fuzzy feelings that I get? Right? I mean, that's what we've turned the Spirit into. I mean, I think that that, that message that John Wesley gives us, that quote that John gives us, he wrote that in the 17th century. Little did he know that by 2021, the entire world would only just ever follow their feelings. That absolute truth would be completely gone, null and void, and that all we would ever do is just follow our feelings, and at times, if we want to, we'll call it God. Now, God's telling me that, you know, I should marry you. (laughs) Oh, is that so? Because I think if it's true, then he'll corroborate that. But this is the kind of stuff that people do. It's manipulative. It's, it's, it's manipulative and it's self-focused. And listen to me. <laughs> I mean, it's arrogant, self-centered pride is what it is. So don't you dare put words in God's mouth. Unless you can corroborate those things in his word, okay? But also in your circumstances. And then finally in this fourth proof, Counsel. Counsel. So if God's word, if our circumstances, and if God's spirit aren't enough, okay, well, God is patient. And he affirms his word one other way, and that's through the counsel of other believers. Proof number four, the counsel. Verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he who ye, whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house, and to hear words of thee. See, these men were there for a purpose. They had a purpose in mind, and that was to invite Peter to come back with them to Caesarea in order to lead Cornelius to Christ. That was the objective. That's it, that's their job, is to convince Peter to share the gospel. It says in verse 20, if you go back to verse 20, that God sent these men. These men were ambassadors sent by God. The angel came to Cornelius. Cornelius, as their leader, as their authority, sent them on a mission to go retrieve Peter. This was a mission of God. God put these men in Peter's lives to deliver this message. Now listen, God uses people to hold us accountable too. See, these men weren't even saved yet. That's the amazing thing. These men didn't even know the gospel. They were just there to get the gospel. But God had sent them as an envoy to awaken Peter to truth. How much greater is it for us than even what Peter had here? How much greater is it for us to have the body of Christ, spirit-filled individuals, agents of the Lord, the priesthood of believers, to support us and to provide us with insight and feedback. And to counsel us in all the ways of the Lord. To say, you know, that, that idea that you have, God might be in that. You should consider that. You should look at that again. Let's see how the other aspects of your life are corroborating what God's telling you. Or, maybe they say to you, you're freaking crazy. That's an awful idea. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let me save you a lot of trouble and heartache. See, the counsel of the brethren is incredibly significant to the decisions that we make. And I want to tell you this. I mean, just by bearing witness in my own life, there has never been a single big decision that I have ever made in the last 20 years of my life that I have not run by Pastor Sam Miles. Now, I don't call him about decisions about my bills and, like, like smaller decisions. But, like, I mean... I have someone in my life that I go to. I have men. I have Kenny. I have Chris. I have Jeff Grasher. I have the pastor. I have, I have Andrew Ong. I have all the pastors. And I have brethren that I love, men like Miles and, 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 and Alex and Uriah and, and, the, and the Bible studies and my leaders in my ministry that I go to, people who are holding me accountable, people who are willing to tell me if my ideas are crazy. Real quick, funny story. When even I first got married, I'm sorry, babe, I'm telling the story. I don't know how I got here. I'm just going to tell the story. When Eva and I first got married, it was like the first few months of our marriage, maybe within the first year, we had like, we, we, th- we thought that Eva might be pregnant, and I freaking lost my mind. Like I was like, oh my gosh, like not now, no, not that, right? And I was so scared, and I called Sam, and I, I don't know what I wanted from him. I have no idea what I wanted from him. like, Sam, I think Eva might be pregnant. Yeah, I'm like sitting down. What do I do? And he's like, if she's pregnant, she's pregnant, bro. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> she wasn't. Okay. Uh, but, uh, man, I mean, I, I've got people in my life uh, that, I, that I trust, is I guess my point, is that I trust to give me counsel and to advise me. And so all of the big decisions of my life Um, I want to make sure that I'm not making them based on my feelings or desires. I want to check those things. I want to prove those things out. And God uses the brethren, God uses the fellowship of believers to get that done. Key point number four, God's counselors, His, His spiritual agents in our life, they reroute us, they rally us when our faith is low, And they remind us of God's words. This is what faithful brothers and sisters in Christ do. They're there to protect us. God put them in our life. Just the same way God put these men in Peter's life to say, hey, look, we're here to affirm what the Spirit told you. We're here to affirm that these circumstances are of God. We're here to affirm the fact that God's word to you, all that business with the sheep and the pigs and the shrimp and all of that business... That was legit. We're here to help you understand that that's true. So come with us and go lead this whole household to the Lord. Come with us. Arise. Arise. Go. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I love that. I love that passage. This is another one I love. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I mean, so many of us, we, we take pleasure in the, in the lost word, world, stroking our ego and telling us whatever we want to hear. And those kisses are deceitful. But sometimes what we need is the wounds of a friend to tell us hard things and point us in a different direction. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen: iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And lastly, Proverbs eleven fourteen 14 says, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. See, all of us need counselors in our life to proof check whether or not our plans are carnal or they're holy. We need that. We need that. We've got to be open to that critique. We've got to be open to criticism. Some of us are so shut off in our faith that there's nobody's penetrating through that anymore. I mean, for young people, oftentimes, it's, is they, want to, they want to follow Christ on their own terms, and so it's really difficult for them to get in a relationship that's accountable, and Bible study is hard. But the same thing is true for older people I've witnessed. That sometimes an older person believes they've been following Christ for so long that they can really that they can go without the fellowship of the brethren. And they don't put themselves in a situation where their life is vulnerable and open to feedback. And you, you just go your own way. And let me tell you, in all instances like this, it's very troubling. It's very troubling. Because God never built us to be cowboys. He, never, he doesn't want us to go rogue. He built us to be a family. He built us as the bride. The bride of Christ is a multitude of people. It's a body fitly joined. Everything working together. We cannot neglect that. We've got to be knit together, and we've got to be open to the feedback. So listen, these four proofs of God's leading, God's word, our circumstances, God's spirit, our counselors, only have value. Listen to me, because all those things, look, Peter could have gone, hey, man, I don't want any of your pork, and I don't want to meet Cornelius. I'm going to go back in, okay? I'm going to eat some falafel. I'm going to take a nap, okay? And I'm I'm done. I'm good. Okay, listen to me. All of these things can be completely meaningless if you don't choose to have faith. I mean, at some point in God's leading, you have to say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I will sign up for discipleship. Yes, Lord, I will be in a Bible study. Yes, Lord, I will confess the sin to my brother or sister. Yes, Lord, I will go to Vietnam. Yes, Lord, I will entertain the fact that maybe you want me to be a church planner. Yes, Lord, I will make my resources available to your mission. Yes, Lord, I will go that way. At some point, we have to say yes. And in the midst of all of Peter's doubt, God and his his confirming agent may have pointed the way, but only Peter, only Peter could actually decide what he would do. James 1.22 says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. In other words, you can see everything with great clarity and still choose to forget, still choose to walk away, still choose not to do. You can do that. Which leads us to key point number five. This is the linchpin. This is the linchpin to the whole thing. Our actions, is it in there? There it is. Key point number five, our actions always reveal the nature of our faith. What you do proves whether or not you're a follower of Jesus. Whether or not you say yes, whether or not you step out, whether or not you move forward, whether or not you decide to follow his leading, it proves whether or not you actually have faith. You don't get to just say you have faith. That's not how faith works. Okay? That's not how faith works. Faith always looks like behavior and actions. Something always comes out of faith. So check it out. Verse 23, Acts 10, verse 23. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them. And certain brethren from Joppa, see, he doesn't even have it all figured out yet. He's just saying yes to the Lord. Yeah, come on in, guys. Stay here. Tomorrow I'll leave with you. And he accompanies accompanies them to Joppa. Verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. In other words, God doesn't see Jew and Gentile anymore. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching uh, peace by Jesus, he is Lord of all. So listen. Before, so he goes to Cornelius and he preaches this message and it's a beautiful message and you should read it. It's so, it's such a, what he preaches is so powerful and heartfelt. And he has no, he doesn't even have any idea what God's doing. He's like still kind of in the dark. He just steps out in faith and says, I can see what you're doing, Lord. I'm, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow your leading. And he preaches this gospel message and before he can even finish what he's saying, these men, his Cornelius, his whole household, they're just a blink of the eye, they believe. They're like, we believe. We believe. And the Holy Spirit comes into them. It's, a, it's amazing. God was in it. And even though Peter doubted, and even though he was unsure, God was faithful to lead him. And Peter was faithful to say yes. A tourist was walking through the streets of London headed to uh, visit Westminster Abbey. When he realized that he was lost, I've never been to London, but I bet it's the type of place you can get lost real easy. And he asked a a young boy, could you please tell me how to get to Westminster? And the young boy replied, go to the end of the block and turn right, then turn left and go two blocks, which will bring you to an intersection. And when you get there, you better ask again. And this is the way so many of us live our lives. We live our life moment to moment just trusting our feelings. We don't have any direction. We don't know where we're going. We, tr- we trust in our flesh. We trust in our, in our, our, our intellect. We trust in, our, in the way we feel and, and what other people tell us what to do. And, and we just end up lost, more lost than we were before. We just got to ask directions again. See, when you have doubts, when you have doubts about life, about your circumstances. It's important that we seek godly wisdom. And here's the question for you today. Will you trust that God will prove His plans for your life? Will you trust that? I want to invite the the worship team up. And I want to end this way. This is the invitation. This room full of people, all different situations and coming with all different types of, of things on your mind and thoughts and convictions and and so the very first thing I want to ask is, is do, you, do you sense that the Lord is leading you in some way? Like, is there, has there been some sort of conviction or some sort of counsel or something that you read in God's Word that, says, that looks like God might be pointing you a certain direction and you're not sure about it? And you need God to prove that out. As a believer, you need God to prove out something in your life. I'm not sure I want to invite you to come forward as we pray and there'll be people up here that you need to pray with. You need need them to pray for you and and to help you to seek seek God. God, would you be faithful enough to show me? But then there's other people in the room today who none of this will work for. In other words, all four of these proofs none of them apply to you because you don't even know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In other words, it's, it's a vain activity. It's like, it's like my brother I was telling a story about who gave me his testimony. His whole life he wanted to know God, but he never had the Spirit of God in him, and so he just couldn't get the input from the Lord. There was no leading. He felt empty. He didn't know. He felt like a wanderer. He felt on the outside. And maybe that's you. Maybe you recognize that you want God to lead you, and this is, the mo- this is a moment where you feel convicted, Lord, I need you. And I want to invite you as we pray to come forward and have someone sit down with you and explain to you what it means to be a child of God. A sheep in the flock. A member of the family. And they'll show you what it means to be saved. Don't waste this opportunity. doesn't matter who you are. If you're a believer and you need guidance or you're you're a lost person and you need salvation, today is the day. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story. Be thankful for how faithful you were in Peter's life to give him exactly what he needed to believe you and to move forward in faith. And such a wonderful example for us of what we need to be looking for to confirm that you're working in our lives and you're showing us where to go and, and what ought to be done. And so we need help. We recognize we are we're a weak people. We have weak minds. And we're easily led astray. We're wanderers by nature. We're wayward. And so, God, we need your help. We need you to be our shepherd. And so be our shepherd today, Lord. Lead us and guide us. And whatever it is that we're struggling with in our heart, would we we be faithful to step out and to come forward and to talk to someone who can help guide us in your word? Lord, help us. We pray this in Jesus' name.